You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Heavenly Father, we start out this day with you, and we pray that as we look at scriptures, as we look at prophecy, that our hearts would be opened, and that we would understand, as we consider religious liberty, that we would have discernment and articulation to share it with our neighbors and and co-workers, and that we can be here doing what you want us to do in this world, the the job that you've given us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Religious liberty under pressure. You can turn in your Bibles to Revelation 13, and uh, this has been a foundational chapter for us. You You hear it many times in our Revelation seminars, and this chapter reveals the last showdown between good and evil before Jesus comes back. Contest is over worship. The struggle is over the law of God. And it is the last showdown. Now, if you, if you watch a game, you know that by the time you get to the fourth quarter in the game, if you can't tell who's going to win yet, you know that the crowd starts to get louder and louder the closer you get to the finish, right? You see that clock counting down. And uh, when you can't tell what, where this thing is going to land... The crowds are going wilder and wilder the closer you get to the end. And that's kind of how Bible prophecy works. Uh, this, this is not the first battle, but the closer you get to the final standoff between good and evil, it's, it's this climax of this, of this struggle, and it gets louder and louder in this uh, final, final showdown between good and evil. Are you glad to be alive at the end of the world and to be able to see things? I am, and I pray every day that God can help me be among the group that he promised there will be a group who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And there's no law that will undo that. There's no religious liberty threat that will undo that. There's no general conference uh, uh, disaster or vote. There's no uh, political problem in the world. There's no no division in the church that is going to undo the fact that God is going to have a people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. How many of you would like to be one of those? I would. And that's why I continually come back to the Bible, though I've grown up with it and I study things that I've studied before uh, because I'm eager, I'm spiritually hungry and thirsty, and I want God to, to be able to fill me so that I can be among those. So we're in, every, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. We've got these two beasts here, and uh, most of the beasts from Daniel and Revelation come up out of the sea, and the second beast of Revelation 13 comes up from the land. And this is the final, all, all these beasts, according to Daniel 7, represent nations, represent kingdoms. This uh, land beast from Revelation 13 represents the final superpower in this world which we have taught since 1850s, represents the United States. Now today, when you look at the United States, it's, it's really the only power that has the cultural influence, the political influence, and the military power to lead out in a global 
a certain global religious agenda that is described. And uh, this, this is a power in Revelation 13, the, the last beast, that leads out in this agenda that sweeps the world. And all the world somehow gets behind and comes together on. And uh, so in a sense, the United States is a sign. It in itself is a sign. When you see the United States going down, you can know that in Bible prophecy, there is no nation or kingdom or power that is to succeed or overthrow the United States. It's truly the United States, the last. And uh, when, this, when this one is done here, this American experiment, um, the next thing in, in, in the Bible prophecy is Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. And so as you see America deteriorating in different ways or, or weakening in different ways, uh, that in itself is a sign that uh, we are approaching final events. So this verse from Revelation 13 is not just quoted by Adventists. I was listening last year on, uh, online at this uh, radio talk show, I guess. I don't know if it's on the radio or uh, just online. And uh, Clay Clark, uh, How the Great Reset Threatens Your Free Will. And as he was sharing about how the Great Reset threatens your free will, he began by reading these verses here from Revelation 13, verses 15 through 17. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark of the, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so you can listen to Christian preachers and American pastors quote these verses very, very often. There's many of them that have uh, been quoting these verses uh, recently. And they look at this and they recognize certain tyrannies in this world and certain threats to uh, ourselves that are coming from economic control and that, because this speaks of buying or selling, it's right there, the, the economic control, the political power uh, that comes in the verse before. There's, there's penalties, the, the extreme penalty of death. And as they read about this tyranny, they see it happening all around, and so they read these verses. But as I noticed with almost all of these popular preachers, they do not read the verses that come before it, which explain what sets the stage. And we learn that by going back to verse 13 to 14. And these verses are quoted much less often. But these verses are truly the key for Adventists to discern the difference when there's a mixture of truth and error and to be able to sort it out. And so... You know, the things that we've preached to others for so long, sometimes we need to stop and, and um, preach them to ourselves, or study them ourselves. It says in verse 13 and 14 that this superpower or this, um, this coalition performs great signs. And I, I use the word coalition because the verbs in these verses 
describe the blending of, of religious, political, and economic institutions and control to unite around one agenda. And it says that he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast uh, who was wounded by the sword and lived. These verses are absolutely key because it describes the platform that is set that, you, that results in an image to the beast. Now, we've studied the beast um, a little bit in our history this week already and what happened in the fourth century when the beast was developed through a blending of church and state. And so if in the last days there's going to be an image to the beast or a replica of the beast or a copy of the beast, it's going to be a repetition of fourth century to sixth century history. When that beast was formed during those centuries, there's going to be a repetition of that trajectory and of that history in the last days when there is an image to the beast that is formed. And here it says that when this platform is set for this to take place, he performs great signs. Can you give me some synonyms for signs? Miracles, wonders. So much so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. Fire come down from heaven. Can you think of any stories in the Bible where fire came down from heaven? Elijah's uh, probably the first one that comes to mind, and he's there on top of, of the mountain, Mount Carmel, and there's the contest over worship. It's over God's commandments. There's true worship. There's false worship. It's all there. And there's, there's the contest, whose God will answer by, by fire, whose God will answer the prayer. And the prophets of Baal are screaming and tormenting themselves and, and carrying on, and there, there's no answer. And when Elijah prays, the God of heaven answers with fire and consumes the sacrifice. There's only one big, big, big difference in Revelation 13. It's the wrong side that's calling down fire. You see that? This can be a, 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 a whole different scenario in that sense. Yes, it's going to be a contest over worship. It's going to be over the commandments of God. But it's the wrong side calling down fire and that are working these miracles. Not that God's people won't work miracles as well. No doubt they will. But that the wrong side is going to be working significant miracles that are going to be uh, uh, attracting the attention of the world. Can you think of any other stories in the Bible where fire comes down from heaven? Yes. In, in all of those that you just mentioned, Sinai, there, there was thunder and hail and fire there. And then uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. All of those fires came in answer to the same thing with, with Mount Carmel, came in answer to prayer. Now Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost these disciples are, are praying for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire appear on their heads in answer to their prayer for the Holy Spirit and equip them for the mission and they replace their techniques with the Holy Spirit's techniques. And so in this last days, there's this false fire. It's a false revival. It's a false outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And it comes in answer to prayer. But it's the wrong kind of prayer. And something extremely deceptive happens. You see that this verse is clearly, unmistakably, irrefutably, non-negotiable, describing a religious revival, a religious platform, a religious program. There's no way to get around that. And as this religious program is set up, this religious thing, miracles, communication, revival, worship service, this leads to the image of the beast. And so the signs are mentioned uh, a few times. Deception, oh, there it is again, right there. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs. The word deception is key because deception is always a mixture of truth and error. And so the mark of the beast is going to be uh, start out as a very good program. Probably, if it's religious and it's an answer to prayer, it's going to be a very moral program. It's going to be a program that a lot of Seventh-day Adventists could get on board with as well. But this, this is something that is a mixture of truth and air, and as the mixture blends, it, it, it revolts in something very devastating. And so, from our earliest days, as we studied... Our Adventist pioneers studied this, this uh, second beast and this uh, end-time scenario. We realized some things. I'll put a quote on the screen next. I, I need you to see that this, this final tyranny and prophecy is a religious tyranny. It may have been motivated by a secular tyranny. It may have been buttressed as they're going back and forth. But the final tyranny is a religious tyranny. Throughout, when you look throughout history, um, secular tyranny has killed its thousands and religious tyranny its ten thousands. When you look over the last ten thousand years, more lives have been lost to religious tyranny than secular tyranny. When you look in the last two hundred years, more lives have been lost to secular tyranny. And so that's the mindset that America is afraid of and that we think of and, uh, and uh, living now because of all the millions that have been lost to communism and to atheistic uh, totalitarian regimes and governments and rulers. Uh, we have had some religious tyrannies and, and uh, versions of Islam. But one of the most embarrassing things is that some of the worst forms of tyranny is right from within our Christian history. And so you look at the state church in Europe throughout the Dark Ages, and they're using that state control to enforce their dogmas. And Protestant comes along, they free themselves from it, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit slow, and, and Protestants uh, show themselves capable of persecution as well. And so... <clears throat> I have this uh, quote on the screen here from Jay and Andrews, Review and Herald, May 19, 1851. Now, most of these quotes I've used this week, you can, you can look up these things. You know, there's, there's many resources. All these things are available to you. You can look at the Adventist Digital Library. All of these things are right on the Internet. You can look on your Ellen White software. That's where I pulled this quote from. It's got our Adventist library on there, Adventist Pioneer Library. 
Uh, I've quoted a couple times this week from the Two Republics. That's on the Ellen White software. Digital Commons Library, you can also purchase these books in hard copy in various places as well if you like. But I, I'm not using things that you don't have access to. And this article is um, one of the earliest, if not the earliest expression that we have uh, of studying in our publications, Revelation 13, and, I, and connecting it with the United States. Jay and Andrews is 21 years old writing this article. A review and Herald is, is edited by James White. He's 19. It blows my mind how, how these young people were able to have the perception in 1851 to be able to, to grasp prophecy in this way. Although according to the things that I just read you from Revelation 13, some of these things should be clear, and apparently it was, even almost 40 years before the Great Controversy was published in 1888. What I have on the screen is 37 years before the publication of the Great Controversy. Here we go as he's explaining this young adult. And by the way, th these guys were no joke. Jay and Andrews at age 14, he was getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning, studying his Bible three hours before breakfast. He, he learned to read in seven languages, including Greek and Hebrew. This is one of the reasons that uh, we chose him to be our first uh, Adventist missionary that was sent in 1874 to Europe because of his linguistic abilities. And uh, when we did, Ellen White said, we sent the ablest man among us. And um, the Adventist Review right now has a, a great podcast. You can find it on their YouTube channel and other places on, uh, what is it, 100 and, uh, 150 years, 160 years in mission. And uh, it's going over the history of missions in the, in the Adventist church. You can learn a lot from that podcast about the history of J.N. Andrews and being sent as a missionary. But he wrote in 1851, an image to the beast that received the deadly wound must be made. That beast was, in truth, a church clothed with civil power and authority by which it put to death the saints of God. An image of the beast, or to the beast, then must be another church clothed with civil power and authority to put the saints of God to death. This can be nothing else but the corrupt and fallen Protestant church. They had it in 1851, 37 years before the Great Controversy was published. They knew exactly what this was talking about, reading these verses all the way back then. They said this is clearly a religious power. This is a scenario where the church is controlling the government and going, the church is going to use the government to enforce its agendas on the land. And that's what's being prophesied here. And so when you get to the great controversy, some of our best articulations come there. And it's all out of Revelation 13, but uh, we can be glad for this book that doesn't leave much wiggle room if, if, we, uh, if we believe what it's saying. When it says in Great Controversy, page 443, in order for the United States to form an image to the beast, the religious power must so control the civil government that the authority of the state will also be employed by the church to accomplish her own ends. Now, I don't know how you can write any clearer than that. Let me ask you a question. In the scenario written down right there on page 443 of the Great Controversy, 
Is the government controlling the church or is the church controlling the government? The church is controlling the government. Now, I know this is hard to believe after COVID-19 and some of the uh, overreaching regulations and measures and mandates and things, and, and we feel the, the iron grip of, of things that were mandated that didn't always have the best judgment, the best science, or the best motives behind them. And the church feels this, this pressure under the government when, when worship has not always uh, been protected to the same degree as other institutions like taverns or casinos in every place. And so we, we, we feel this, this danger of the government controlling the church, especially when it comes to the LGBT agenda. In a recent church where I pastored, uh, they had a policy in the church that the pastor could, could um, perform no weddings except for church members. I never heard of such a policy in my life. And I said, how did, how did a policy like that ever get passed in this church? Well, then I found out that they, that, that was uh, passed in 2014. And when I found out when it was passed, everything made sense. Because I know our memories are short, but if you remember the political landscape in 2014 when Obama was president and when uh, the Supreme Court was making uh, pioneering new, new uh, legal openings for gay marriage, and that was also turning hostile to those that didn't bake a cake or didn't make a website for a couple or a chapel that didn't open their doors for a gay couple. And we were feeling like churches and Christian schools were next. And uh, that's when they passed that policy. And um, so anyways, we, we, they, they, they said it was with the intention to be able to make exceptions, so that wasn't a problem. But then when Trump came along in 2016, and that pressure was off. And that pressure was off for about, about four years, especially in the LGBT scenario, where it's not just a movement to fight for rights of a community or protections for a community, but it's against those that don't endorse it, and then it becomes hostile to those that don't support it. And so we, we feel, in my lifetime, these strong pressures of government uh, controlling churches. And if you look up in Canada and uh, freedom of speech... It's, it's even uh, worse than here. In other parts of the world, you can see some extreme examples. And then we have, I can't remember how many countries around the world where just to pray with somebody about sexual morality and, and purity and um, <clears throat> these kinds of things is against the law. You could go to jail for it. And we have some of these laws in our own states it's called conversion therapy. There's a lot of false things that are attached with it and things that are described that are not necessarily true. And so we have felt this iron grip of secularism and of the uh, government controlling churches. But this last showdown is when there's going to be some kind of flip, some kind of switch, some kind of turn because the devil's always got one. It's a one-two punch. It's coming from both sides. And the, and the final one is when the church controls the government. So let's keep that straight. It says in two pages later on page 445, when the leading churches of the United States 
uniting upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. Fascinating statement. So who should we be watching according to this paragraph? Is it the leading power brokers of this world? Is it the leading business tycoons? The, the leading global elites? Are we measuring the, the progress of the image to the beast with the great reset and the new world order and the world economic forum, which each have their place in putting tools in place for, for control and for observation and uh, things that threaten personal property and rights? But Great Controversy says that if you want to measure the progress of the image to the beast with a tape measure, with a thermometer, however you want to measure the progress of this image to the beast, more important than listening to voices in council halls, in courts, in political speeches, and all these things which all have their place and they're all included, but number one, if you want to measure the progress of the image to the beast, you listen to the leading churches in the United States. If you pay attention to the leading churches of the United States, it's in those pulpits and through those platforms that you will see the image to the beast being formed. Could not be clear and the things written in Great Controversy, and it says that the image of the beast represents that form of apostate Protestantism, which will be developed when the Protestant churches shall seek the aid of the civil power for the enforcement of their dogmas. And so today, we, we see these kinds of things which have been in our country from its beginnings, which is why we've gone through some history yesterday and such, and as long as you've been alive, as long as I've been alive, but the microphones are getting louder, and it's not by accident. Now, when we talk about these, these attempts to seek for churches to seek the aid of the civil power for the enforcement of their dogmas, that's what some call Christian nationalism, which is what Ellen White defines, as I read yesterday in Desire of Ages, page 509, defined it as in this movement that she felt in 1898 and that she saw prophetically. But today in the religious world, there are multitudes who, as they believe, are working for the establishment of the kingdom of Christ as an earthly and temporal dominion. And now I'm going to be reading some quotes coming from dominionism theology. And it's about taking political control and dominion of this world. They desire to make our Lord the ruler of the kingdoms of this world the ruler in its courts and camps, its legislative halls, its palaces and marketplaces, they expect him to rule through legal enactments enforced by human authority. And so we can see some of these things coming close by. When I was pastoring last year, there was an event just a few miles from my church. This is in Post Falls, Idaho, last September, September 16, 2022, where the crowds were packing out the stadium. And one of my fellow Christian pastors in the, in the same city where I was a pastor in Spokane, Washington, was at that event. 
And he expressed the desire that you're hearing all around the country for what churches need to be doing now. When uh, Pastor Brian, uh, um, Brian Gibson, I guess I didn't put his last name there, Brian Gibson uh, said there, when I listened to him speaking on a Friday, and I was preaching on religious liberty the next day, he said, politicians don't tell prophets what to do. I said, politicians don't tell prophets what to do. Prophets tell politicians what to do. I said, prophets tell politicians what to do. Now, you're going to hear a lot of prophet language these days. And the word used a lot of uh, apostolic or apostles. And there's a, there's a movement that uh, began to form about 20 years ago and is strengthening with extraordinary speed. Uh, uh, and Pentecostal and um, charismatic movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. The New Apostolic Reformation claims to be the most significant, the most significant religious movement since the Protestant Reformation. They claim to be chapter two of Pentecost. They claim to be the remnant. And uh, things that uh, might sound familiar in an Adventist context. And in their structure of churches, there's prophets and there is apostles. And there are a lot of visions in this group. You'll hear a lot of dreams. And they're having a lot of dreams about politicians and about things happening in America and our elections. And they're having these visions and they're, and they're speaking them. And the visions are shared from the prophets to the apostles who have control of the church. They, they don't lead by committee or by groups, uh, but by single people that are chosen to be apostles and to be uh, spokespeople. I started to wake up to this a little bit last year, before just a few months before it came to my town in uh, Spokane, Washington. I saw, I don't remember how I first saw it, but I saw the stadium packed out in uh, Atlanta, Georgia last summer, less than a year ago. This was this stadium was packed out on July 1, 2022, and there's thousands of people, and you can get on and watch the recording for yourself. This event is called Flashpoint Live, Flashpoint, and these pastors from around America are, are coming together, and these Christians pack these stadiums, and there's healings, there's speaking in tongues, and there's prophetic word. And there's all these things, and it's all blended in with this worship service of praise music and prayers and uh, political stump speeches all blended together. And I was shocked when I listened to, just in the first 10 minutes of the event, Mario Murillo, uh, a revivalist from California, but he's a revivalist that is works mainly on um, campuses in America. I mean, this movement is capturing the hearts of our young people. Now, we, we have legitimate concerns about uh, our, our educational institutions and universities in America being taken over by a hostile or extreme left agenda, but that's not the only side that is capturing the hearts of our young people. Our young people are listening to our university students across the country coming out by the thousands to listen to people like Mario Murillo, who said, Jesus said, if any two of you shall agree as touching uh, anything on earth, it will be done. So I want to tell you why that number, if any two of you, 
There are two streams in America that have been separated. The conservatives and the revivalists. One has been in the political camp. The other has been working in the church. The devil has told those in the church, don't make any political comments. The devil has told those in the conservative movement, stay out of the churches. But those two forces, and when he says those two forces, the crowd goes wild. He, he can't even keep talking. They're just shouting and screaming. Those two forces, when they come together, and people are leaping off, their, off their, their, their seats when he's saying this. When those two forces come together, all things are possible. And so one after another, because I got some more here coming, there's this call, there's this invitation, this loud throbbing for churches to come together and to tear down this wall of separation and to get in politically. And... Uh, at this event, they, uh, they had this uh, prayer, this watchman decree. And uh, they, have, they have all of the crowd stand up and, and pray this prayer together and read this watchman decree together. And um, <clears throat> I'll read it for you. As a patriot of faith, I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission. Secondly, I agree to be a watchman over our nation concerning its people and their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whereas we, the church, are God's governing body on the earth. Whereas we have been given legal power from heaven and now exercise our authority. Are you picking up on the tone yet? Mm -hmm. Whereas we are God's ambassadors and spokespeople over the earth. Whereas through the power of God, we are the world influencers. Whereas because of our covenant with God, we are equipped and delegated by him to destroy every attempted advance of the enemy. I have at the end of my presentation some, some quotes about covenants and, and, and the covenant that was made by the pilgrims' fathers that first came to America. And I have the quote from Ellen White about what she says our pilgrim fathers in, in chapter 16 of the Great Controversy. It's very important that we understand this thing properly. Because covenant language is being used in a, in a very, um, very powerful way. So we'll circle back to that covenant language. We, we make our declarations. We decree that America's executive branch of government will honor God and defend the Constitution. We decree that our legislative branch, Congress, will write only laws that are righteous and constitutional. We decree that our judicial system will issue rulings that are biblical and constitutional. We declare that we stand against wokeness, the occult, and every evil attempt against our nation. We declare, and we now take back our God-given freedoms according to our Constitution. We declare that we take back influence at the local level in our communities. We decree that we take back and permanently control positions of influence and leadership in each of the seven mountains. Seven mountains, there's, there's uh, books about these, but it's media, it's business, it's family, it's education, it's politics, it's arts and entertainment, and it's religion. And basically, they say that we've only been doing a good job at the last one, which is religion and churches. 
They've been working for years on the business one. Many events, getting millionaires. They talk about a great transfer of wealth that will come from the Gentiles into the church. Uh, But they plan on uh, influencing the media, family, education, and uh, politics, arts, and entertainment as well. And he uses the word control. We plan on permanently controlling these positions of influence. We decree that the blood of Jesus covers and protects our nation. It protects and, uh, protects and separates us for God. We declare that our nation is energy independent. These are pastors talking. We declare that America is strongly, is strong spiritually, financially, militarily, and technologically. We decree that evil carries no power, authority, or rights in our land, nor over our people. We decree that we will operate in unity going beyond denominational lines in order to accomplish the purpose of God for our nation. Many of these uh, pastors that are on the stage, five of them, are are leaders in the New Apostolic Reformation, and they also call themselves the post-denominational church. They they don't have any bylaws, there's no central organization, and uh, they, they lead through apostles that are directed by prophets. So they, they are uh, anti-denominational in one sense. Oh, but we decree that America shall be saved. The crowds are just going wild and, and screaming. Later on in the event, Dutch Sheets says, the first principle of the watchman prayer, this is uh, the prayer that I just read to you, and he wants to tell you what this prayer was all about. The first principle of the watchman prayer assignment is keeping the serpent out of our gardens. Now we have let this serpent in this garden called America. The good news is that we have authority to get rid of the serpent in our gardens. And we are doing it now. It's a two-pronged approach. We must marry these two arenas, the civil and the sacred. You, you uh, picking up what I'm throwing down here? We've been talking about separation of church and state this week. We must marry these two arenas, the civil and the sacred. They are not separate in Scripture. This is why we did a Bible study yesterday to understand why from Scripture under the New Covenant they are separate. Because these are the people that you need to give Bible studies to. The prophets, the men of God, the priests, work with the governors and the kings. God never intended it for it to be separate. We must go after this nation through righteous leaders and government laws, but we must also do it with the authority that he has given us in the spirit to deal with the spirit and say, they're going to represent us in Washington, but we're going into our closet and we're going to run you out of our garden. And they couldn't talk for several minutes because of the reaction of the crowd. He says, we're going to do it. I, I counted him this morning. I was listening to him. Seven or six or seven times. We're going to do it. We can do it. We're going to do it. These are the these are the uh, tones coming out of pastors and pulpits in America. Not every, not all of them, but a a uh, minority of them right now. There are those that protest against it, but a a popular growing group. Um, <clears throat> but you've heard of John Hagee before. He's on he's on uh, American media television, radio, one of the top most influential pastors in America. This is his sanctuary there at Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas. 
And uh, when he invited General Michael Flynn into his church, Sunday morning, November 13, 2021, General Flynn said, if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion. One nation under God and one religion under God. They, they are done with religious plurality in America. It's time for America to be Christian and Christian only. So, sometimes when we talk about America getting back to our roots, this is what people are, are talking to, talking about. Now, as Adventists, we believe that America has a biblical foundation that formed our culture and that formed our heritage and that this country was used to be a refuge to people all over the world. Why we believe that it has a Christian foundation culturally and historically, we don't believe that that Christian foundation means it's, it's legally a Christian nation that makes Christian enactment civilly. But that's what many believe. <clears throat> and then maybe you, you heard this quote. It was, it was quoted quite a bit since just about a year ago. And this is, she's not a pastor, she's a congresswoman, but she said this in church on Sunday morning. That, that's why I, I, I read to you the quote, the leading churches of America, and I'm, I'm sharing quotes with you from churches and pastors, because that's where we've been told it will be at. And so Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from Colorado, Cornerstone Christian Center, Assault, Colorado, June 27, 2022. The reason we had so many overreaching regulations in our nation is because the church complied. Now, when I had this quote in here before, I, I didn't have that sentence. I started after that. But I, I was looking back at the context, and I added that sentence because it's, it's always a mixture of truth and error. And when we look at the uh, overreaching regulations that some experienced during COVID— and we realize that some of those criticisms against those are not completely baseless. When we look at certain mandates that had a lack of judgment, lack of uh, science, and a, a, a lack of good motives, perhaps, at times. But I'm telling you, the devil is slick. The devil, <laughs> he's a player. And he's playing a game of chess with Seventh-day Adventists. Because sometimes when we get so focused on the here and now, we forget that the devil's working two or three plays ahead of us. This is why God gave to us prophecy. So that we could think and that we could know and not have a disproportionate focus on, on each and every single threat, but that we understand the long stretch of where this thing is headed. Is anybody tracking with me this morning? And so when, when I read some of the things I've already read, I'm not saying that everything I read was wrong. It's a mixture of truth and error. But we're Seventh-day Adventists. You see, we, have, we would never think of imbibing the doctrines of Babylon. But I'm afraid that sometimes some of us get drunk on the politics of Babylon. We're, we're in dangerous ground in America and perhaps in the Seventh-day Adventist Church right now, too. There's momentous things happening that in a large part are un undercover. Probably many things I put on the screen this morning you're hearing for the first time. 
but they're things that are bubbling and that are coming up to the surface more and more. She says, the church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not meant to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. I'm tired of the separation of church and state junk. That's not in the Constitution. It was in a stinking letter, and it means nothing like what they say it does. And so when you get the, the, the name-calling, separation of church and state junk, garbage, as she called it on a, a podcast not, not too many days later. Yeah, separation of church and state, that, that phrase is not found in our Constitution. It was written in a letter by Thomas Jefferson to the Dansbury Baptist. Who Jefferson was, even by the people who say that all of the, those that, that, that signed the original Declaration of Independence, all but two of the signers, I heard one person say were Christian. I don't know how they say that. But one of the two signers that he said was not a Christian was Thomas Jefferson. But Thomas Jefferson had friendships with the Baptists. Baptists were persecuted at the time. Baptists suffered a lot of persecution in the beginning of America from Puritans and such. Quakers did as well. And um, so in it, and that's, that is uh, where the, uh, one, one of the early phrases of separation of church and state, at least in our formative documents, comes from, from Jefferson's letter speaking about the First Amendment to the Constitution when he uh, wrote them a letter. That's what she's referring there to. What I'm wanting you to understand is that there is mockery, there is hatred, and there is reviling from Christians wanting to tear down the separation of church and state doctrine. Now, this has been going on for a long time, but it's been getting louder. I'll, I'll read you some of the older quotes so that you know that... It's been around. George Grant, who's a very influential uh, Presbyterian pastor, has authored or co-authored over 60 books. Very prolific author. And um, pastor and professor and such. He wrote back in 1987, Christians have an obligation, a mandate, a commission, a holy responsibility to reclaim the land for Jesus Christ. To have dominion in civil structures just as in every other aspect of life and godliness. But it is dominion we are after, not just a voice. It is dominion we are after, not just influence. It is dominion we are after, not just equal time. It is dominion we are after, world conquest. That's what Christ has commissioned us to accomplish. We must win the world with the power of the gospel, and we must never settle for anything less. He wrote in his book, Changing of the Guard, Biblical Principles for Political Action. And he, he concludes saying, Thus Christian politics has at its primary intent the conquest of the land, of men, families, and institutions, of bureaucracies, courts, and governments for the kingdom of Christ. Extreme, yes. But prophecy says that extreme is going to become mainstream. And that's, that's what we get to partially witness in our own time if, if we won't completely witness it. Um, <clears throat> Rick Joyner one of the prophets for the New Apostolic Reformation uh, published this in a blog, November 29, 2005, title of the blog, Taking the Land. We are establishing our eternal place and position here on earth. We are coming to the time when passive Christianity and passive Christians will cease to exist. There is maturity, a discipline, and a divine militancy coming upon the people of God. Those who have succumbed to humanistic and idealistic theologies 
may have a hard time with this, but we must understand that God is a militant God. The title that he uses 10 more times than any other in Scripture is the Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. There is a martial aspect to his character that we must understand and embrace for the times and the job to which we are coming. And then Pat Robertson, who passed away a week ago at age 93, very popular on uh, American media, radio, television, and the like. Pat Robertson has, has long been a voice against the separation of church and state. As Liberty Magazine quoted him in July, August issue of 2006, God's plan is for his people, ladies and gentlemen, to take dominion. What is dominion? Well, dominion is lordship. He wants his people to reign and rule with him. But he's waiting for us to extend his dominion. And the Lord says, I'm going to let you redeem society. There'll be a reformation. We are not going to stand for those coercive utopians in the Supreme Court and in Washington ruling over us anymore. We're not going to stand for it. We are going to say we want freedom in this country and we want power. So that kind of a tone, which has been around for a long time, is becoming more vocal. I took a snapshot of this uh, website this morning, firstlanding1607.com, and they had a, an event back in April, I think on the 23rd of April, and there are many conventions and rallies in America that are really hearkening back to the Pilgrim Fathers. And on their homepage... Uh, firstlanding1607.com, there's a declaration of covenant prayer by the Reverend Robert Hunt. Um, his prayer when the pilgrims landed in America for the first time in April 1607, saying, we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us. And with these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains, and may this land, along with England, be evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here, and may those who come here to inhabit join us in this covenant and in this most notable work that the Holy Scriptures may be fulfilled. And you'll see Adventists that are going to uh, these events and sometimes speaking at these events and uh, hearkening back to our, our pilgrim roots in 1607, I encourage you to read again chapter 16, Pilgrim Fathers, by Ellen White, because she has a very different take on the pilgrims than what current Christians in America are, are, are giving them. Ellen White uh, uh, wrote this about the Pilgrim Fathers in chapter 16 of Great Controversy. Page 292, it was the desire for liberty of conscience that inspired the pilgrims to brave the perils of the long journey across the sea, to endure the hardships and dangers of the wilderness, and with God's blessing to lay on the shores of America the founding of a mighty nation. Yet honest and God-fearing as they were, the pilgrims did not yet comprehend the great principle of religious liberty. The freedom which they sacrificed so much to secure for themselves, they were not equally ready to grant to others. The doctrine that God has committed to the church, the right to control the conscience and to define and punish heresy, is one of the most deeply rooted of papal heirs. 
While the reformers reject the creed of Rome, they were not entirely free from her spirit of intolerance. And so, because of that, we might be alarmed when we hear calls for our country to come back to its original covenant with God. They say that there's only two nations in the history of the world that have a covenant with God, Israel and America. They would deny that they're trying to restore the theocracy of Israel, but it looks close enough, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. You see that if we, if we go back to the Puritan model, that will set the stage for the image to the beast. Now, we appreciate the, the pilgrims, and I just said Puritan. There's a difference between Puritan and pilgrim. But when we, when we go back to the pilgrim model, we appreciate what they did. They were on the right track. They set the foundation for what we enjoy. But if we go back, I mean, we, we advance far beyond that as well. And if we go back to the pilgrim model, we're in deep, deep trouble in America. But in some sense, the prophecy of the image to the beast in Revelation 13 is a prophecy that we will return to the pilgrim model of 1607 in Virginia. So this is why Owen White writes, as I read again from page 443 of Great Controversy, in order for the United States to form an image to the beast, the religious power must so control the civil government that the authority of the state will also be employed by the church to accomplish her own ends. Don't ever forget it. Don't, don't, we can be concerned, we can be object to governments trying to control churches. It's very, very bad when that's happening. Just keep the long game in mind. When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, you want to track this image to the beast? Sure, you can, you can listen to whatever microphone you want. Many of them have some level of significance, but the most significance are the microphones in the churches of America. You listen to the pastors and the politicians that they invite, you'll know exactly where we're headed. And they shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions. Then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. Has it been clear this morning? Has it made sense? Has God given us a, a rich uh, revelation of his will and of prophecy? Do we need to study like never before? Do we need to be very careful when, we're, when we hear a uh, 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 mixing of truth and error? I'm afraid right now the Adventism and the voices of Adventism sometimes parrot what evangelicals are saying about various concerns out there. But we better be very, very discerning when our tone as Adventist starts to sound like the tone of other churches. Because the moment that we parrot what they're saying about certain things, it could be very, very difficult for our people to disentangle from that once we wake up to the image of the beast, which looks so great in the beginning, not being so great in the end. Let's end with prayer. Heavenly Father, we have looked at your word this morning. And we desire for you to show us, direct us. Please remove any, any obstacles out of our hearts and, and pride or selfishness. 
Help us to be humble. Help us to be fair. Help us to be true. And in our relationships with those around us, that people can hear a different kind of tone. Help us not to be drunk with the wine of Babylon, doctrinally or politically or any of it, but that we can be true to Jesus and Jesus only and be ready when we see you coming in the clouds of heaven before long. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.